Hey, what's up? So, Avalanche. Let's talk about it. What's, what's an avalanche? The snow comes down real fast, fierce, gains momentum. But I'm not talking about the natural disaster. Or if it's not really a disaster, I guess, if no one's around. But anyways, avalanche. What is it? You've heard about it. Now you're going to hear some more. It's an open source platform for launching decentralized finance applications, right? DeFi. That's what you want. Developers who build on Avalanche can easily create powerful, reliable, secure applications and custom blockchain networks with complex rule sets or build an existing private or public subnet. Right. I think what you should do right now is stop what you're doing. Even if it's listening to this podcast, stop, pull over, go to the gas station if you need to go to a subway. There's a subway like everywhere. There's always a subway. All right. Right, there's always a Kroger. Just stop in a parking lot somewhere. Go to avalabs.org to learn more. All right, stop. Go to avalabs. That's A V A Labs, L A B S.org. Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. It's a Bitcoin Podcast. Yo, everybody, we're back. It's the fucking Bitcoin podcast. <laughs> Episode 300. <laughs> Episode 322. Last week, I said it was Episode 320. It was really 321. Joke's on you, motherfucker. So, uh, I'm the host that talks first, D. I am another host, Dr. Corey Petty. I'm, I'm, a, I'm another host, too. Jesse Rope. Yeah. We refuse to go by your numbering system. Yeah, I, you know, it's going to catch on one day, just, you know, just not anytime soon. You know, I feel, you know, if we do this long enough, then both of you guys are going to be doctors and I'll still just be a Mr. Mr. D. So, yeah, yeah, it's going to happen. So then I'll go, <laughs> you said, yep, that's going to happen. Yep, yep. So uh, then I'll have to go by Dr. D as just a moniker and you guys will get pissed. No, you, won't. <laughs> you, you No, you fucking won't. No, you fucking won't. All right. Um, no, I wouldn't even feel good doing that. So, anyways. So, uh, um, yeah. So, if this is your first time listening to the Bitcoin podcast, uh, why? Like, go listen to all of our stuff. We've been doing this a while. I think some people would call us OGs, but that's weird to self-proclaim. So, we're not. No, I got called an that. OG today. I was on a conference. You did? Wow. Yeah. And I was. I was. It says, go see Corey Petty and other OGs, or other crypto wow. OGs. So I have been officially called an OG by someone else, not prompted by me. So 
Congrats. I like that you bought that soundboard and you never use it. Uh, well, the thing is, is like, I changed... like a hot 10 episodes and then it just went like, thank you for spending. Corey, you money. know who I am. You know, you know who I am and what I do. Okay. This, the settings changed and I don't feel like fixing it. So it's just sitting here broke, broke as shit. Here's it in the camera. Just sitting here broke. None of these buttons work. So, you know, and I like how I say yeah. the settings changed as if it wasn't me that changed them. Uh, so, um, what yeah, so today? I want to talk about how we fucking did it. We did, we did, we did it, man. Crypto is the shit. This shit's really awesome. Like when you stop and you think about it, like, yeah, we shit on crypto often, but we earn that right. You as an OG. Right, <laughs> like you know, like we've earned this right to shit on crypto. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like uh, when you've been in something long enough, you can criticize because you you've been in you've been in the shit. So I think, but I've crypto's really trenches. crypto's really awesome. I was thinking about DeFi and how awesome it is. I make a dollar and ten cents every day. <laughs> Jesse doesn't know anything about that because he's a hater. But I was thinking about like DeFi and how like it it literally not literally but it quite it it looks like all of the entrenched financial systems are being built in parallel on what uh, on like Ethereum and to me that's kind of cool like maybe it doesn't work all the way great but the, it's like the 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 the, the railways are there. Like we're building the building the path to want something that's gonna be pretty dope, you know. I agree with all that. It's like we're definitely building the path. We're learning what doesn't work. We're learning what works. People are experimenting a lot. What uh, do you think, Jess? Man, do you think this shit's as awesome as it was when you heard about it three, four years ago? Hmm. I think there was a point at which everything was working, you know, kind of. Now things are breaking because of gas fees. Like I, I wasn't that I working. It's just busy. It doesn't work as good as it needs to, but it's working. One would say it's not working as intended, but it's working still somewhat. You know what I learned about Jesse, Corey? For it to work faster. Jesse is not satisfied with starting at the Model T. He wants to start at least at DeLorean. At least. He wants to start at DeLorean and work up from there. Okay, so he came into this space later than we did. Um, I feel like we overpromised a lot, especially in the early days. About like what's Wait, what the is future early? looks like. I don't know. I've been here since like 2011 or 12. Oh yeah, that's early. I've only been here since 2015, probably. And I mean, that's still quite a bit of time, right? Like you have been in the Slack participating for a long time. Yeah. Um, that's why you're here, basically, because you've been here forever. Yeah. <laughs> but but like you overpromised a lot. If you think about the early hype cycles and 
what we used to say when we were talking about the future of Bitcoin, like when it was just Bitcoin and like what it's going to do and like how, what adoption looks like when we were getting started with this, mm -hmm. we're idiots. The naivety. You know, we were naive. It's, we were. It's the, it's the narrative that's changing to a, a, adapt to the current implementation of the tech and also how it's being used, like at what what level it's being used. Like Bitcoin why, is not digital capital. Why do you refuse to get close to your microphone? Oh. <laughs> it's full, puts a microphone on his desk and then throws it across the room. <laughs> and just, it sits in the other room and tries to talk to us. <laughs> All right, here. Let me let me get closer. Oh <laughs> shit! Like I was wondering, like I was trying to like change settings on my shit. I was like, "What is going on here?" Because I don't, I'm not looking in the video. So I was like, "Huh? Okay." Yeah. Jesse likes to so, talk. Yeah, I think, from the, the, I think the narrative changes to adapt to the to the current adoption level and also the tech. I don't the think narrative, the narrative changes, bro. Yeah. Narratives change. It's what they do. And narratives change depending upon who the person with the most value in that circle of people wants to do to protect or uh, sustain their value over a longer period of time. That's that's just as old as this. The oldest shit in the book. There's probably somebody right now with like like fucking gold bouillons that takes those shits to the gas station, and they're like, yeah, nah, like we don't. Take gold. That's weird, right? Like it's it's just the way it is. But what I think is like the things that are awesome are the things that are so small and nuanced, um, but are just dramatically overlooked at how powerful the statement of it existing is. And that is like Bitcoin is being lent out. Like that's a use case, and that's crazy, because that's something that we wouldn't even thought was a use case that fit into our frame of what we thought this was to become. But that's a pretty bona fide use case. I'd say we did. We just didn't talk about it. like what kind of what Jesse was saying. In the early days, we talked about all the potential use cases of blockchain, uh, and that's what Bitcoin was going to do. And this is even before Ethereum. And then over time, as it got bigger and bigger, Bitcoin got more expensive, and they realized that the transactional throughput isn't there, and layer twos aren't very good. It just turned into like it's a storage of value, and you can use it to like hold on to value for a long period of time. And then the, like the whole narrative of Bitcoin funneled into that. Ethereum took over a lot of the other use cases until it got filled up. That bucket got filled up. And then a lot of them aren't usable anymore because gas fees are too high. And now something else is probably going to take that mantle if it's like layer twos on Ethereum don't pick it up quick enough. And so like you'll see, you see like this, a lot of the use cases that we talked about in terms of blockchain that we really want that like financial inclusion and fast transactions in a global network and you know uh, streaming payments and all these different kinds of cool things you can do aren't being used by the by the networks that are filled up because they don't work that way right now they may have in the beginning when the networks weren't that full and fees weren't that high now they do and people are trying to protect their investment so they're just like all right well it does this so this is what this network is for we'll figure the rest out later and 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 so like lending was always a thing in bitcoin it's just we were always trying to do so many other so much stuff and then now that everyone's kind of coalesced around the bitcoin is for storing value and it's just staying there until at least there's a solution that makes it better 
lending sounds really good because it's just sitting value and people want to like do something with sitting value. It's kind of the whole point of finance is like, you're not supposed to let value just sit there. It's supposed to be working while it's sitting there somehow or another. And we've seen that with all the experimentation and DeFi or decentralized finance now that like you can probably do a lot with things that quote unquote just sit there. Mm-hmm. Dollar and 10 cents a day, baby. <laughs> it's going to compound on itself. One day it's going to be dollar 20 cents a day. Just smiling right now. But like the, the cool part about that is that you're not doing anything. It's just sitting there. It requires I'm zero attention. I'm checking that Uniswap pool every fucking day, five times a day, just to make sure. <laughs> so like, this is, this is the way I approach that value proposition. So if you're, if you're doing DeFi and you're getting like your dollar and 10 cents a day, right? Versus like an altcoin that actually has like an alternative purpose that also has staking rewards. Your uni is, I don't know if the uni is going to go up dramatically. It's supposed to like eventually, most of these DeFi pro, uh, projects are supposed to stabilize the currency so that you have like some sort of peg, like a dollar, right? Mm-hmm. But that runs like disinflation or that runs, you know, uh, counter to the dollars disinflation that's probably going to experience. Right. So like it's not supposed to move. Whereas if you're in like a proof of stake project and you're getting rewards from that proof of stake project, chances are in the next, you know, in the next cycle that it booms. Right. The ROI on that is going to be much more significant than the ROI on the Mm-hmm. probability that like uni is going to boom to the same levels, which I don't think it would. What makes you think that DeFi projects require stability? What I mean is like the, the governance token is not going to boom. Look at maker. Okay. What, what, what is their, what was their governance token? Maker. Oh, yeah, Die is their stable coin, which is backed yeah. by the governance token of Maker. But Uni doesn't Uni like what is the Uni token? Is that their governance and their stable? Mm-hmm. Eh, no, there's no. I don't think there's a, stable, there's, there's a stable. stable coin of of Uniswap. All what Uniswap does is provide people to um, the ability to m- submit liquidity for certain trading pairs, and then may earn fees on those who use that liquidity. Uh, so like there's no centralized entity that's handling the liquidity pro- providing and, and, and taking of the fees of people who who trade on the platform. It's just like people just they think a certain trading pair is going to be useful for, for people who want to use it. They provide the liquidity for that and then they gain fees on anyone who trades on that pair. At least that's the way I currently understand it. Because uh, like there's like KyberSwap, other projects that are similar to Uniswap yeah. that also have stable tokens that decrease that aren't you know they don't use gas basically they're using their own stable token to pay for transaction fees, and they're wrapping all the pairs. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't know enough there right now to like. Because I've used both of them. I've used Kyber and I've used Uniswap. Yeah, uh, I got a question for you guys. What if track? What if taxes were automated and transparent, more so than they are these days? Right. So these days, one could say that they are automated to an extent. Right. You get a paycheck, taxes come out of it. You don't see that money. You do a refund. You get it back. 
But like, what if, and then transparent, I'll put quotations on that, is when the budget is released or the United States posts its balance sheet, right? And you get to see what transactions occurred on the balance sheet and relate those to the spending, right? Which is the equivalent of the United States' P&L, right? The profit and loss. You can, you can equate those transactions together. That's somewhat transparent, but there's a whole lot of fucking line that goes on. But like, what if you couldn't because it was like programmatic triggers and you could see that those, oh yes, those taxes went to that wallet address owned by this government agency and that they spent it like that. Like you could, if it were transparent. I think that's inevitability. If, if there's a real transition into digital currencies from fiat governments. And we're seeing that in some, I think that'll eventually happen. And I hope for that level of transparency, because if it's automated, it's really mm -hmm. hard to mess around with it. But uh, there's no reason for any like sovereign nation to create a currency that they don't control. So why would they provide that transparency when they can mandate you to do whatever they want? What's the what's the impetus to provide the transparency if there's no like if they don't need they don't need to like get a community behind them. They have the community and they can force the the requirement for people to use it. Your resistance is futile. It's like hey, this is what you pay our taxes in. This is how you do it now. Don't worry yeah. about where it goes. I think I think uh I think uh our, our good friend Wayne Gandalf the White, I think his like crazy theory is gonna be absolutely true and that in order for the government to to get a wrangle on Bitcoin and non government owned cryptocurrencies, they are gonna incentivize the old guard of these cryptocurrencies, the people that have a lot of it, the OGs per so to so to say to give up their crypto and earn and then in turn for sustainable and long-term gains in whatever the uh central current the uh, central cryptocurrency is right so like if you if you give up your bitcoin then you get so much usdc with a 15-year interest rate of that guarantee you know how easy that is to program and swap the the rug out from everyone who to to take bitcoin out of the hands of people and put it in the hands of governments that would that shit would happen like in two years all the bitcoin would be owned by by countries it would be such a all just, of it would be owned by countries people would people would hide it right what's the benefit so? of that just because so, so they, would, like you said so they have the power so well, they the just, power is in the is in the control of the of the currency mm-hmm They'd have it like, if they if had all the Bitcoin. At, yeah, they can't. No, that's not the same. Not the same control. It's they. They guess they have the digital asset, but they can't stop other people who have Bitcoin from using it in a specific way just by having it. Uh, like what's what's what, what I'm talking about in terms of control and surveillance is what China is doing with their digital currency and then forcing people to use it. It's not open and permissionless. It's mandated and surveilled, and it will most definitely be censored so if, if the government doesn't like what you do they'll take all your money or stop whatever that thing is 
Corey, do you think the U.S. would do that? I don't know. Um, I don't see why they wouldn't. They, they, I don't think I don't see why they would create something that doesn't have the option to do it because it it's so much power to have, and then you can just tell yourself you're going to be good with it. Very mm. rarely do people give up that power when mm. they have the choice to 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 That's create deep. something with or without it. That's deep, man. Like Satoshi Nakamoto is like, I don't know how to explain it or like how to put, put the words in it, but it's, it's ridiculous. We have this system that was built by somebody who gave it away and didn't and gave the power associated with who he is or who she is or who they are away with it. Like that's, a, that's, 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 a, that's the, I can't think of another scenario in the history of time where that's happened and it's grown to be as powerful as, as Bitcoin is today. I'm about to put my conspiracy theory. But we don't necessarily know that they're gone or he or she is gone. No, we don't. But yeah. uh, that we, we, we trust that enough time has passed that they would have done something with the money or they would have moved. Yeah, something. I'm going to go ahead and say that like, I'm fairly confident that they're gone because I don't think there's anyone in the world with enough willpower to be an onlooker or even a contributor in today's society and throw away that much power and money. The biggest end game for the CIA to like usurp money, like financial, no, just kidding. <laughs> it's like, that's my conspiracy. That's my like conspiracy. Big, the b biggest brain pool of like galactic brained people. It's like, we're just going to create this uh, e-currency and we're just going to like, uh, we're just going to sit on it. We're gonna forget this project for like twenty yeah, years. Like, yeah, but the thing is, if there's someone like okay, if, 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 like Satoshi just popped up out of nowhere today, it's like, yeah. hey, bros, I got it. Here's the key. <laughs> and then proved it. Guess yeah. what? Like, that is a tremendous inflation of uh, effective supply, and you're. We now know that it's possible that things are moving, and based on everything that person says, the price would just go all over the place just based on what that person did yeah the volatility would be extreme and then yeah. you'd lose a tremendous amount of the reliability confidence like confidence yeah. and reliability yeah. in in how the token trades and what the market is i think that's the the one thing that makes bitcoin unique is that in that that that's something i wanted to touch on when we were doing the interview that pops next <laughs> show not this one but the next one stay tuned haha <laughs> classic breaking bad uh, you know leave them on the edge of their seat fuck yeah but anyways uh all these new tokens and networks and currencies there there's someone you can look at and say like oh like Corey, you if i want to know something about status i know i could talk to you and i know that you and your other team of hard workers it's dependent on you like it's 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 you like i can go straight to you you can't do that i'm with a bitcoin. contributor i don't have like ultimate power but i mean that's true i've got sway and i understand how everything works like or there's like, similar people in bitcoin yeah today. there are but there's there's not that 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 uh it's almost like that like that big bang like okay there was a what happened right before that shit though like that little bit of unknown that that yep. just that yep. it it a bit of unknown is like, uh, well, it makes it different. 
You know, well, it's like it, a, it's like Vitalik and Ethereum, right? It's mm-hmm. everyone looks at him as if he's the leader of Ethereum, when in reality, like he's he has a tremendous amount of social social sway. Right? In reality, yeah. he's just a contributor. He's a really good contributor, but he's not involved in the in a lot of the critical and fundamental day to day of keeping the network alive and keeping it going. That's can lead a kill lot of dogs. Other, everything can kill dogs. Well, mm. to eat it. That's <laughs> okay. Yeah, that. He ate a whole pack of pencil lead back here. I don't. It's not, it's not real lead, dude. Oh, okay, he's good. It's graphite. graphite. Oh yeah. Hope it tastes good, motherfucker. So, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I don't know. I, I think that's what makes Bitcoin unique and different. But anyways, I started this really random conversation out with that. I think crypto is 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 doing big things and it it's it's when you when you're on the outside looking in like i spend time around all gpps all day now like it used to be different for me when i was on the road and stuff i'd soak and consume myself with all things crypto and read it and all this and that and the other but i i'm just kind of like you know nobody on the no gpps don't care about this shit and they're never gonna like i'm just that that just is what it is like it doesn't it doesn't even matter like uh you know, I, I could straight up tomorrow buy a whole house with my shit, you know, like do something random with it. And they'd be like, whoa, how'd that happen? And I'd be like, it was crypto. It's, it's awesome. And they'd be like, oh, that's crazy. I should have bought that. Ah. And they just go about their own day. Like, <laughs> like they don't they don't give a shit. I've, I've witnessed that scenario a few times now. <laughs> you know, there's like, it's like oh. crypto bought my house. And people are like, oh, that's crazy. I should have bought it. Oh, huh? wow. Like, you're, you're smart. It's like, okay. Yeah. It's like, I literally, I'm, I'm literally doing as close to screaming from a mountain what you should do. And no, and no one is, no one gives a shit. They're just like, oh, look at that guy screaming at us from a mountain. Huh. And then they go and they go on about their day. And so knowing that and like being able to, to see like the, the, be in the echo chamber of crypto. And all the things that we think are awesome, and then you get out, and just like the regular world, no one actually cares or has the time to care, and it's just like, oh well, it's it's I don't I don't even know how to explain the way that it feels, but I know how to tell all the GPPs I fucking told you so when this shit keeps popping <laughs> when this shit keeps popping off and doing what it's doing because. I mean, I don't know. It just kind of feel like it's getting to a point where it's unstoppable, and um, and, and the thing is, is like you, we all know it doesn't really work. Jesse, you say it every week. You say it like weekend and we out. None of this shit works. None of this shit works. Well, I mean, it's but, working. It's not working how they all promised it. It's like, it's like saying like, it's like saying here's a phone and you can make international calls. And then you try and make an international call, but you can only call your your neighbor like twenty miles away. Like it's still working, but like it's not doing what what was what was promised in the beginning, which is like you can make calls any distance all across the world. Yeah, you know what, it's that's decent analogy, but it's one of those situations where like be patient, it will. It will. Yeah. The cat's out of the bag. There's enough money and talent and resources yeah. into it. It'll get there, but people aren't that patient. And there will always be a large cohort of people being like, this is not what I was promised. Yeah, there's some deep dicking going on. I'm talking money dick 
going into crypto right now. And it's it's going to start to... Like, people aren't pouring that much money into something without expecting a return. There's one thing I know about wealthy people, and that is they're not going to lay some money on the table. Well, not a lot of them. But most of them aren't laying money on the table unless there's some return at the end of that rainbow. Right? They're just not. They're not going to do it. Some of them are risky. Some of them are like, yeah, fuck it. Let it ride, baby. But a lot of them are not. And that's why they are wealthy. Like, they, they sit back. Like you said, I think we were talking about it last week. Like, they sit back with a team of smart motherfuckers. And they deduce risk. And they say, okay, we got this percent of making that much money. This percent of making this much money. And this percent of making that much. How much are we going to bet? Right? And right now, there's, like, not even now. For the last... Six years, so much money has been flowing into crypto that somebody's expecting it to boom. So, um, we can segue into the interview. This week, uh, we interviewed uh, dude from uh, from a gig. Wow! <laughs> no. Wow! We literally <laughs> talked about this before we started. Stanny from Ave. Stanny Stanny from Ave. Stanny from Ave, baby. Dude uh, from Gig. Look, I didn't have my uh, I didn't have my notes in front of me because we got I was, notes. I was gonna let that ride. I wasn't gonna try and save you on that one. Oh, that's mean, Corey. Hold on, look at this question: Is DeFi the new ICO? Did you guys really ask him that? I wasn't there for this interview, but no, I don't think so. Okay, it's not. I think what is. What did Colin say the other day? It's I-E-O? I-E-O? I, I don't no, know. No. There's a, they, they made a bunch of euphemisms. Uh, oh, ISO, initial subnet offering. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what he said on Twitter. Yeah. What's a subnet? I, I being, guess it's a... We're not getting into that right now. <laughs> we're not getting into that. All right. That's, a, that's, that's a, another episode. All right. All right. Well, here's, uh, here's the interview. Here it is. Welcome back, everybody, for another Bitcoin podcast interview. Today we have Stanny from Ave, and my co-host states going to be Jesse, the man broke. Uh, Stanny, do the normal thing and tell us kind of um, how you got into the space and what you do and what Ave is. Yeah, so um, I, I I basically was doing financial applications. Um, uh, mobile applications uh, uh, way back when I was uh, in my teen years. And and after that, I, I started to go more into, uh, well, actually, I, uh, I, I basically applied into uh, uh, law school in, in Finland, uh, where I'm originally from. And, and I got accepted and I started to research a bit more about uh, how we could use, like what, what kind of automated solutions there are resolving settlements disputes uh automatically and and one of the things i ended up researching quite a lot was was blockchain and 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 then i got more involved in in researching in ethereum and and what was fascinating then in ethereum is that uh you could do this so-called smart contracts which means that you could have a piece of code that is immutable that has some sort of transaction Transactions that you pre-program, and what's what was interesting uh, back then is that uh, there wasn't that many like so-called DeFi decentralized finance applications. Uh, there was one decentralized exchange, but other than that, the space was was quite small. 
So we created the, the, the first uh, lending protocol on Ethereum called Ethland. And yeah, from that, we, we just uh, st- started to continue developing and we launched the other protocol, which is uh, uh, basically a, a protocol where you can deposit funds, earn interest, and then when you deposit, you can actually draw a credit line and, and borrow other funds. So uh, yeah, and here we are. <laughs> so but in your, okay, let's just maybe start uh, nice and fresh. Uh, some of our audience is more maybe Bitcoin-centric. Others are heavily into you know, DeFi, Ethereum, and other coins, of what have you. Uh, what is your definition of DeFi? What do you consider DeFi? And then has, how does that then fit into the overall like cryptocurrency landscape? Yeah, for me, DeFi is... Uh... Like the the most important thing for me in DeFi is is permissionless transactions. So that 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 is the most important thing. So uh, ability to uh, participate in a system, make transactions, and which means that you can send, receive funds, uh, or do other complex financial transactions, and without uh, anyone kind of like putting a barrier into that. And and part of this permissionless technology is also the kind of like a ability to build things in a permissionless manner, which uh, means that anyone from any part of the world can contribute into the actual piece of software that is the underlying network or actually anything that is built on top uh, in this network and and the applications there and on top of them. So that is very important. And, And as a side thing for me as well, like, uh, is the transparency. So there is a thing about like argument whether blockchains should be public, private, whatnot. But the thing is like what the public blockchain serves is actually a lot of democratic aspects. And that is very important to me in terms of like DeFi. But I, I think it's just a way of uh, interacting with different things with non-custodial way, permissionlessly, and have the the transparency. That's that's those those three points are for me DeFi. Are you surprised by like uh, how much money people are throwing at this? Like, I would look at if you go to like your your main website uh, right now, and and y'all aren't the only DeFi protocol in existence right now, especially with the previous couple months and the kind of somewhat craze that's happened on Ethereum around uh, DeFi. Y'all have one point six according to your website here at Ave.com, 1.6 billion locked up in the market right now amongst all the various assets that you have available. Like, are you surprised at how popular this has become? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, uh, we were expecting, when we launched the the Ave protocol in January, we our aim was kind of like to have roughly 5 million worth of value locked in, like in the smart contracts. Uh, so, this came as a surprise, like a big surprise. That's <laughs> <a> significant difference. <laughs> <laughs> how do you how do you how do you handle that? How do you handle that surprise with respect to like that amount of capital locked up in in smart contracts? Like how do you how do you handle that? It's kind of frustrating because uh, you, in one term, you kind of have like limited time to develop. The, the software and launch into the mainnet and do all the due diligence, the, the smart contract audits and, and formal verification. And the code is there public, kind of like, like 
anyone can look at the code all the time. And it always is a uh, challenging part because, I mean, I mean, if something goes wrong, there's a big security risk there, you know. And it's it not just it's not about it's not just about Aave, but in general, like any of the DeFi protocols, uh, if they fail in the security, that's devastating for the whole space. And I, I kind of like we build the protocol in a way that is scalable, and our token economics are supporting uh, the safety of the protocol with the staking modules and, and so forth. But end of the day, uh, we're still uh, kind of like developing very new technology. And and, and I, I think the speed that we're going is, is too fast. And if we somehow could slow this thing down, that would be the optimal uh, solution. How the hell do you slow it down? <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. Uh, yeah, I'm saying like this. Like uh, for those that don't know, um, I guess in the, in the Ethereum ecosystem, there's a there's been a large hype around um, DeFi and DeFi projects, um, and then a few projects, kind of almost almost like meme projects, came into play, which were forks of others. And in the process of these things, and people throwing money at them because more often than not, if you were aware of what was going on, you know where to put. You know where to stake your cash. You had potential for pretty good returns, and you, it's, it was very similar, reminiscent of the ICO boom of 2017, um, which is a lot of irrational exuberance and unsafe, uh, unsafe projects. Uh, but like during that, like one of the main main ones or one of the larger ones, like just absconded with a tremendous amount of money, based on people just throwing money into it, built off the back of open source work, and then they walked away and said, "Thanks, guys, I appreciate it." That's a sushi swap. Like, how do you, how do you defend or educate your users such that like they can feel confident? Because like most of most of all of this stuff, people don't understand. They don't understand smart contract security. Like they just like if you're lucky to get them to understand where to go and where to put their money, you're doing a pretty good job so far across the ecosystem. Like, yeah, uh, especially like with the sushi swap, it was very annoying because. In one way, there wasn't any hack or a bot. It was just kind of this way of treating their community in a very, very poor way and taking the... the, the, the uh, I mean, somehow I feel, I feel that this kind of like behavior is very contradictory, whatever we're trying to achieve, whether it's in DeFi, blockchain in general, and 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 every bad experience will will leave the the kind of like a supporters or the community members uh, more in a in a state that they are they will not like to endorse something like that. And ed- education, I think, plays vital role because smart contracts to understand them, you need to be a developer. Uh, you need to understand how to read the code, and once you do that. Uh, then what you can do is, is is publish a audit report on what the code actually can do and cannot uh, cannot do, and then other people can actually who don't have this this uh, uh, technical background can actually understand and participate. But many even don't go that far. I mean, if they see a new project and and others are going there, they will they will invest and they will 
provide the liquidity even if there is they 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 don't know the the risk involved and that is very alarming um and and i i think kind of like when we're always dealing with permissionless technology we will to some extent always have this kind of like a behavior unless like regulators are coming in and actually saying that okay here's the rules and these are the rules we're playing with it might be in the same case let's say if you have some sort of like a uh uh ponzi schemes on ethereum or or uh an ethereum or bitcoin name is used just to kind of say that you are earning and people who are not educated don't understand what what is bitcoin what is blockchain what is ethereum what is what what it's all about they will go into those traps and that is very sad part because like there's like this gap of education the same way that when banks went from from brick and mortar banks to dig, digital banks and a lot of older people get scammed because of let's say someone calls them and asks their security uh credentials and and they get hacked in that way like the education is very important part so in one way there is sort of responsibility in the protocol developers and the communities but also as an inv- individual there is responsibilities and the question is how much you can lose until like it it becomes a, a problematic thing and if it becomes problematic thing can this kind of like a permissionless system that we have exist anymore in my opinion it should exist i mean it like the things that we are changing with with uh like decentralized finance and 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 cryptocurrencies is 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 enormous benefits i mean transparency in, the ability to to interact in a non-custodial way, but on the other hand, uh, we also need to take the burden of educating people to to as widely as possible to avoid kind of like uh, any interruption. Jesse, you got anything? No. I'm kind of curious about what, how you feel about this because I know that you're not as like close to this type of stuff as I am, and I would like to know like how you feel about this from uh, someone who's not following it like nearly as close. Like I'm in the middle of the stuff. I do smart contract audits and all this nonsense, right? Like, what is it? What are your viewpoints from someone who's not doing that or like more building it for that matter? I can kind of see that DeFi was a scam, just having been part of the ICO boom. So like. It's very easy to kind of stay away from it until you know it's hardened over time. Well, that's like saying like crypto is a scam until it's hardened over time. Like it, it's that there. It's always it's it's more high risk, but mm-hmm. there are people building things that are worthwhile that are, that are doing stuff. Like, I guess the question well, I think. Go ahead. Sushi was an obvious scam, like right? Well, I I thought so. Many yeah. apparently didn't. <laughs> yeah. But stuff like that, it seems pretty obvious. Once you've been burned, you know, I think maybe it just either people, I don't think there's a lot of incentive, to be honest, to train people. I think there's more money to be had from people who are acting more predatory. And I think that's going to go on until you have some level of regulation that kind of protects the consumer. Because right now it's it's a whole lot of people taking advantage of of technical edge, essentially. And people who don't audit smart contracts FOMO in way more easily than other people who are actually somewhat 
technical and are kind of aware of what to look out for. So I, I guess it's, I'm, I'm not somebody who's like completely foreign to this whole concept of Bitcoin and crypto in general, since I've been in it for years. Mm-hmm. So from my, from where I'm sitting, it's, it's obvious what is a decent project relatively uh, compared to some of these, you know, like once, once a project starts getting forked a bunch of times, like you kind of know that, okay, some, some, some shit's going to happen. <laughs> you know? It's probably a pretty good indicator. <laughs> that's the, that's the problem though. Like what, what, for an ecosystem that purports composability, meaning that like, I'm building a piece to a larger puzzle that interacts with a bunch of things simultaneously. It's like what, what's kind of seemed that way is like, I'm taking this system that works really well and adding governance to it. So I don't, I would like to reuse the secure code that seems to be working, which is forking code and adding bolting on this other thing that would be cool to have. And you can sell that. You can always sell that because in some cases that's what you want to do. Yeah, because you always find like opposition in one. I mean, the the easiest way not to get fork is that you listen to your community and like the not just like the incentives, but you your implementations do not contradict the the community's uh, expectations. And like still, even if you have like everything's aligned in that sense, there are still people who kind of like want to do the other thing or go the other way and change things, which is pretty fine. I mean, if there is, if someone doesn't like Bitcoin, they can fork Bitcoin and do their own thing. And, 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 and that, that's, that's totally fine. You know, they can do the same with Ethereum, all the protocols that are in DeFi uh, and, and, and attack that liquidity. But I mean, you're as strong as your community. I mean, if you're forking something uh, you basically have to have, a, a community that that is actually expecting something else, and then there's a, I, I kind of understand like a, a fork the same way as in in Linux development. Let's say if the if the core of of, of uh, the Linux kernel or this particular distribution uh, doesn't fit the purpose of their users or the developers, they can create their own uh, fork of that and and put it in in a develop that fork in a way that fits their needs, for example. But in terms of like cryptocurrency, because of the, like if you look at open source and Linux, uh, uh, there wasn't any like crypto economics involved. And when you put crypto economics and open source together, you have a different kinds of atmosphere because people have actually uh, monetary stakes involved. And also it becomes very political in, in, in that sense that if you look at the, the forks that Bitcoin has, uh, some of them are looking just for the forks in the sake of the politics and also to print uh, money. And this money printing is happening now in, in DeFi because whenever there's minting of, of this currency and, and it has value, someone is paying the price. And how it actually happens is that the, the big accounts are farming the most of the thing uh, when there is there is the, the the fork or a new uh, liquidity mining program, and usually those smaller accounts that will not actually achieve that much of a governance power or 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 exposure to that particular uh, uh, token or the project, 
will actually, instead of farming, they have to go and buy that token. So, so the bigger accounts are actually selling that currency to the smaller accounts, and the smaller accounts are the one who is actually uh, the project is relying upon and, and carrying and, the bag. As it will. Yes, yes, exactly. How do you how do you combat that? Like that's like well, kind of what he was saying. Like this this kind of thrives on technical edge, uh, but when you add crypto economics, like whales of technical edge basically can do whatever the hell they want to is that kind of can you can you can you combat that can that go away well i think in a world where things are permissionless what works is that as much as you put in you have the same like you have equal amount of skin in the game depending on the amount you contribute uh compared to the current situation where you come with liquidity you print uh funds and and you sell it to people who can't print as much as you can, and they have to buy it. So that's kind of like unfair launch. Even they call it fair launch. And the way I see it, like what's fair is that when everyone, let's say, if I contribute uh, one Bitcoin uh, or let's say one Ethereum, and someone compares uh, contributes ten Bitcoin or ten Ethereum, they get ten times more of the governance power. That's fine because we both paid for it, and it's different than the, compared to the system where actually uh someone gets the the funds for free and sells it to me and we we, we but we the, the problem is that we had the the ico period where people were actually doing this everyone got as much as you you contribute but the problem wasn't the contributions the problem was the recipients that when they got the funds they didn't have any obligations to deliver right? because they have the funds they they promised some interesting project on a piece of paper and and in most cases they didn't survive and as as Abe and Eatland we 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 did a token sell three years ago and and we we lived the ups and downs and we're still here and we're shipping as much as we can because like we we never cared about economics we cared about the the product and shipping the product but it didn't work then but what could work is basically where you give the instant governance to everyone who contributes in, in in the amounts that they contribute, but they control whoever contributes controls the funds so that so that the team doesn't control uh, the funds. That could work, but the, as founders' perspective, team perspective, uh, people are too scared to actually try it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would imagine founders would rather have the money than have a bunch of people dictate how they get the money, especially when. Yep. Uh, if you lower the, the the barrier of entry, the the, the amount of people who have, who have the ability to dictate those things have a very broad range of desires and preferences and expectations. Like, so, what does what does Ave do that is is different than this? How are you how are you doing this sustainably? How are you creating like more complex financial products on top of Ethereum more sustainably? Or are you even doing that? There's different kinds of sustainability. Uh, one that relates to, to the security, one relates to how the protocol will govern in the future, and one is that how, what incentives uh, the governance has to, to actually uh, keep building the protocol and, and making sure that it's, it has like some sort of like long, longevity. And in terms of like security, like we're putting all the efforts that we can in terms of audits, formal verification. Uh, in, in terms of uh, incentives, 
we, we basically have kind of like a big amount of assets locked. Uh, we have quite a lot of traction. So uh, getting that traction and, and monitor, monetizing it in terms of fees and getting those fees back to the uh, token holders who are staking into the protocol and by staking, they're actually taking the risk uh, of, of the protocol and providing safety for the depositors. They're at the same time earning fees. It's a basic like risk reward scenario. So that's kind of like sustainability we see, but also we see one type of sustainability is that uh, we need to ensure that even if the Aave team isn't always around, that someone is building the product. Like we firmly believe that, uh, and I personally don't believe in a situation where you build something, you give it to the governance and you leave. I, I think that's, that's, that's pretty much like a, a irresponsible act because like you want to be part of the story but you just want to have it enough decentralized that you don't have the 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 decision making power and that any like like when I see the like different kinds of token distributions and and especially related to venture capital, they usually keep most of the tokens themselves, like the founders and the VCs, to to have the control. But actually, you're truly decentralized when uh, actually. Uh, if someone has a proposal or you actually have a proposal and the, the, the community can actually vote against your proposal if it doesn't make sense, then you see that you actually have the real governance and real decentralization in that sense. And in terms of like building the protocol, like in, in the future, which, which, which happens quite uh, in a few weeks, we want to open the development to everyone. So anyone can just build part of the features of Aave contribute into the protocol and, and also uh, build ad additional uh, products as well. And, and that is like our point. Like we will, we will keep developing things as, as we want to and to, in terms of like contribution, but we want to ensure that like we're not the only one contributing and, and, and improving the software. So there's like different forms of sustainability we're looking at. So what do we like? Shit, I had a question. I forgot it. <laughs> Brooke, you have something while I'm thinking? Yeah, sure. So I think a lot of the people who are non-technical almost see crypto as like a, some sort of guaranteed lottery where um, a lot of people who are technology, not technology oriented, they'll throw money at they'll basically follow 4chan calls and throw money at like the <laughs> bottom, like the lowest tier crypto currency projects ever. And everybody will hype them out. And I think like I saw RSR as one of those projects uh, just because it was being backed by Coinbase and a whole bunch of other, um, a whole bunch of other VC groups. Um, so it's just, it's just, I think people are expecting blockchain to democratize wealth in a way that is not natural. Like everybody thinks that everybody's going to be equal and that distribution will be equal. Maybe at least the people who are holding the biggest bags and the people who are VCs are just aware that the only people who profit the most are basically the people who are at the protocol level who actually make the projects and the people who fund it shortly after, you know, 
they're created. I don't think there's any system. I don't know if you if you have any opinions on on this, Danny. But do you think that there's any alternative system that that kind of offsets the large amount of risk that bag holders eventually have versus everybody else, VCs and and protocol uh, creators? I mean, the way I see it, finance has been always like like undemocratic in the sense that that uh, like even like if the, like the governance systems are based in the more the more let's say governance power you have, which is which is the tokens or whatever is it's it's uh, the the underlying uh, the more you control the system. So it, it's it's not that democratic in in that sense, unless. Uh, those stakeholders that are voting on things and their existence relies upon making the system more democratic, then I could see a scenario where they need to compete in terms of voting and governing to innovate for systems that become more democratic. But it's not always the use case, especially in financial applications where, uh, let's say, if you need liquidity, uh, in forms of liquidity providers, you you are able to achieve that way easier when you have big liquidity providers and you are servicing them compared to getting your liquidity from uh, hundreds or thousands of people at the same time. Uh, it's it's kind of like a tricky for for me. Like it, even like the 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 fundraising that we had uh, was absolutely amazing in the sense that. I, as a as a uh, developer uh, coming from a small country from Finland, which is already like capital restrictive in in terms of like it's it's a country where the the like VCs come and fund like gaming projects and leave. <laughs> I mean, like Angry Birds Supercell is from Finland, and uh, I mean the biggest thing in Finland was like Nokia, and it's already dead, you know, for for years and years. But like, uh, and and at the same time, when you're building technology, which is very uh, pioneering and new, it's very difficult to get funding. So so the fundraising was democratic in that sense. Uh, compared to if I would be in, in Silicon Valley, I, my chances would have been bigger in the sense of fundraising from VCs. So I think like that was like a democratic way of raising funds. In terms of building applications, uh, Anyone can access, like anyone can contribute to, to to blockchain technologies. Like anyone can contribute to them, and and because they have this interoperability and 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 composability, like anyone can actually build things and and use things. So that works. But what they're using, uh, in 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 that sense, whether the services are democratic. And servicing, like actually, not just the wealthiest of the wealthiest, it really is one of the most difficult kind of like game theoretic things to solve. Because unless they are competing of creating such services, they probably will never compete. Because higher amount of liquidity will be cheaper to get from fewer sources and easier to control. And the only way to overcome this is to put them to compete on providing more democratic services. And then I don't know who makes the final call. Is it the user who is demanding like, hey, 
I want more democracy. I mean, if you go to a bank and, and, and you say that, actually, I want to do things this way, will they listen to you? You know, if you go to a, a, a Bitcoin community and say that I want things to go this way, will they listen to you? And so forth. So it, it's a very complex thing, especially with finance, because the, the, the power is calculated by the means of how much funds you have. Or, or mining power or whatnot. Basically, uh, it's it's very difficult to do a system where like one vote, uh, one person is one vote and more democratic. I'm not saying that it's impossible. It's just uh, depends. I was going to say to exacerbate that, make it worse. Um, it's very difficult to get people to vote. Um, more often than not, a lot of the incentive, you can get people to kind of pay attention. I mean, you can still get kind of fatigue and trying to keep track of things, even if you have a large stake in something, but like getting people to show up for a vote is a very difficult thing to do, especially in blockchain. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I personally, the idea, especially like if you vote, if you vote and you have to pay gas transaction costs, you will vote only if you're like a, let's say a institution, but as a, like a private individual, like you're like paying to vote. And I mean, in one sense, it's, it's kind of like you're jumping into a bus that takes to the, the, the polls and you vote and you go back into the bus and you spend some money for the sake of like getting your voice out in democracy. But uh, doing that actively and especially like in DeFi protocols, the voting might be like there might be two votes a week um, and, and maybe like uh, five to ten votes a, a month. Uh, it's it's kind of like a uh, it's challenging to 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 appear when you have to pay. Yeah, well, and especially the past couple of months. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, for those that are, don't follow Ethereum much, the the gas prices of uh, Ethereum have rose dramatically for a small period of time. They're back down to somewhat sane levels at, right now, but who's to say it's not going to happen again? Uh, so basically, things like this, where you needed to pay to vote on governance issues or use the Ethereum blockchain for various things were very difficult to do because uh, it cost way too much to justify spending the money for whatever particular vote there was. And for whales, this was insignificant money based on the amount of money they were dealing with or based on what the vote potentially gave them or transaction they were trying to submit gave them. And so like it ended up becoming a large pool for a very small use case. I think you that's know interesting was, when you're trying to go ahead, go ahead, Jesse. Something interesting that I, that I noticed is a lot of exchanges, you know, how they offer kind of, well, some of them at least, some of them offer um, free withdrawal and deposits and whatever the project you're in that is like a POS project. Um, they're offering that easily because going back to what Stanny's saying and what you guys are saying is the fact that they're not offering the people who are holding those coins, those projects that do pay out uh, some level of interest on whatever many tokens that person's holding. They're, they're pulling all of that, all of, all of that staked money. And they're, they're, they're on, honestly like net, net positive from, even if everybody's, you know, um, sending transactions back and forth, their exchanges are winning in this whole thing. Like there, there are the people who are winning in terms of like financial gain are people at the project level, the people who are VCs early and exchanges for the most part. 
anecdotally, like, uh, I know that there was this one guy, like in India, or this one girl, I forget, um, she put like $10 into some shitcoin project for the most part. And, you know, she bought it at like all time highs. And it's like, I, I don't remember if it was an ETH project or not, but like, that money is essentially like, uh, it's lost, essentially, because her value is going to decrease, like, say, 50%. She won't have enough to comp, uh, to to pay for the gas fees to get out if it's an ETH token or whatever. Uh, basically, I, I think people in, like, I would say, like, third world countries, like, they're having issues trying to use crypto versus people who are in, you know, I guess, more developed countries who have, like, you know, this wealth discrepancy. They're, they're, they're able to use it a lot easier because, you know, they're not, they're not whales per se, but the, the fees with respect to how much, you know, each person makes in the respective country is just not comparable. And so one can use it and the other one is almost left a bag holder by default. doesn't matter how much they put in because monthly earnings for them is nothing compared to a daily earnings in, a, in another country. So it's just, it's just, that's what I see a lot. And I see a lot of people losing their money in, Poor countries is it is it because we're just not there yet like it's you know what i mean like it's going to take a while to maximize efficiencies figure out how to do stuff and for a while it's it's not going to be good enough for people to serve people who knew who, who can't afford it like that i hope that it is one day but i just i think it's it's too early but the problem is there's greed associated with it or like the potential to make money which typically throws people's risk assessment out the door. And so they jump on projects that understand too early. Am I wrong? Does anyone feel that I'm wrong about that? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Jesse. Yeah. I was just going to say those people going back to what I said, like they become the ultimate foundation of the project because they can't move their money at all. So like Potentially. you have bag holders, but then you have like super like I'll I'll call them bricks. These are bricks because <laughs> like they're not going anywhere. They're the ultimate bag holder because uh, because their money's locked. Like it's like, like economically locked in or what? Because economically it's locked in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I for example, like one of the things at all we we always try to embrace is that. Like now, when you, when you deposit into the Aave protocol, let's say stable coins, you get in return this kind of like a interest-bearing stable coins that grow in your account balance. So you will see like uh, every second the balance grow. And the thing is that you actually, in terms of user experience, it's, it's amazing because you don't need to actually deposit to, to Aave. You can just buy those A tokens. It could be AUSDC, AUSDT, whatnot. But the thing is that uh, when the gas price rises quite a lot, it like it 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 basically creates higher and higher barrier for the adoption. And let's say if a person has to spend uh, more gas than than that person would earn interest on a, a savings period, which could be like six months, twelve months, it it removes the the uh, the the purpose there, and it's it's very problematic. And and in, in terms of uh, Blockchain technologies, uh, we see this quite often to happen uh, that actually like uh, those who the technology serves the most, they are holding those bricks in the sense that they are feeling the transaction cost. 
Whereas, for example, if there is a bank in India where basic services are provided for free, anyone can open an account if you are in the radius of a, a, uh, a, a, a big city, for example. Uh, and the, the fees are collected in different ways from the, 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 by the bank, from the banking system. But here, uh, the problem is that the, 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 the fees in, in blockchains are also democratic and undemocratic in the sense that everyone pays the same for the network usage. And where people are using the network and it's not scalable in the current, uh, current, current form, the, the smaller depositors who actually uh, benefit most of this, this technology are suffering. So, and, and yeah. it's, it's a kind of like a, a, a dilemma that is very complex. I definitely agree with that statement. <laughs> yeah. like it, I would also, I would also say that it's worth, it's worth the development and, and, and attempt to try and build these things because like it, it pushes the impetus to build it. And, and most often, more often than not, you don't realize you have a problem in something until like your bucket's full. And when I say like, I use that bucket full analogy quite a bit. Like if you have holes in your bucket and you try to fill it with water, you won't know where the holes are if you like, until you fill the bucket up. But most of the time for blockchain projects, it, people, people tout a specific level of performance or something because they're, they're touting what's going on when there's almost no water in the bucket because they, they, because they haven't found the holes yet. And when you start stress testing these things, you see a lot of holes of, okay, this is the problem we need to fix. This is what we, the route we could take to fix it. And that's what you're seeing right now, I think. And people are building these things, trying them out, stress testing them. They're like, okay, this is how we make it better. So that eventually when we get to a point where it's efficient enough to serve those people who really need it, when we fill the bucket up, it doesn't just make them bricks. And I don't know other, I don't know any other way around it. I think you're always going to have that problem in with respect to like, some guy in India making a hundred dollars a month versus somebody in say America making thousands of dollars a month. You're always going to have that, that issue of that person in India becoming a brick simply because a lot of these crypto projects are circulation capped. So like that inherently causes price appreciation for the most part, because the behavior of tokenomics is that the closer you get in to deployment time, like, you know, the more you'll profit in the end in terms of, like, if that project is fruitful, I mean, you're going to offload your bags onto somebody else and essentially you'll make money in whatever fiat you're, you're currently living in the country. And then that offloads the bags onto somebody else. But overall, the price per token is going up to a point where that person in India is going to get screwed regardless if that project has some sort of mechanism, let's say POS and it, it burns tokens per transaction and that's the inflate or the deflationary mechanism and there's a fixed cap, you know, all these sorts of things that cause what what we thought a few years ago was good in, in terms of like deflationary underlying assets that kind of boost the value of the network. I think there's something inherently flawed with that if the use case is for people in poorer countries to have something to denominate with on a daily basis i i think there's a flaw inherently there i think 
a good crypto project will be one that you don't you're not subject to huge amounts of inflation and but it's stable enough and it doesn't necessarily gain in value so much um, but it is stable for everybody to use across time i think that is a successful crypto project but right now it's 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 almost like you know the boom of any of any tech era it's like let's figure out how we can fix cap so that we can maximize profits so we can cash out and then on the back side like let's try and help these people but you can't help those people if you fix the the supply or you you do any disinflationary mechanisms like that or not disinflationary but deflationary mechanisms so i don't know Thoughts? I have to ruminate on that one a little bit. So I, I might have like I don't know. There's also like high risk associated with early beginnings. So a lot of people sink money into projects that end up failing. Uh, and that that's they're they're probably larger bricks than the people who put ten dollars into something and it doesn't they can't get it out. But in terms of wrapping up an interview, <laughs> uh. You want to tell us how, how people can kind of get involved, uh, learn more, um, get in contact with you guys at, at Ava? Yeah, uh, I mean, we have Ava.com where, where you, can, you can find more information. But uh, uh, I, I think in terms of like DeFi, it's important to, to learn, study things and understand like what, what is DeFi. The same way if, if, if you are studying like cryptocurrencies and blockchain, the learning is very important. And I always emphasize this quite a lot because like even as a sophisticated like DeFi super user uh, tend to kind of like forget the idea that actually like even though the, everything seems like applications, you still need to always think about like what are those principles that you're participating in, whether we, whatever you're participating are those things. I mean, when you're making choices. And yeah, I mean, uh, you can follow us on, on, on Twitter, Ave, Ave. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the, I mean, education is the, the number one thing. And, and, and I think what, what today we learned about uh, not just DeFi, but also kind of like monetary policies, it's always something important and democracy important to think about because end of the day everything is is temporary unless we can come up with something uh that actually uh helps people but also like uh changes the way we do finances today and the the sad part is that we actually have this very nice technology uh we have blockchain but getting people to adopt and 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 banks adopt everyone adopt it, it, it's its its own fight, and it take it will take years. But this is a start. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I'm happy to be in this journey. We're here with you. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, and uh, maybe come back when you're at three billion valuation or market. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> <laughs>